When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Sales Fuel Hire, a platform to help companies hire smarter and flag 13 toxic employee types. Measure job fit, sales tendencies and motivators, decision-making abilities and empathy levels, and make your next hire your best hire. Try it now on salesfuel.com slash hire and use promo code MANAGESMARTER for $50 off your first purchase. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. You know, Lee, we just had like my big marketing meeting this morning and mm. you brought up, you said, we got to pivot on some things, but I don't want this to be a big nine-month process. You literally, you, you literally said that. You said, I, I want did. it simple. I, yep. Our guest today is just the guy to tell us how to do that. Huh? What do you think? Yeah. That's well, and the other thing is, is that for the past few months, we've all been through, you know, we've all had to learn to change and adapt, but, you know, not everybody's all on board with that all the time. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to hearing some thoughts on that. I am too. Welcome to Manage Smarter, everyone. My name is Audrey Strong. I'm the Vice President of Communications here at Sales Fuel. And I'm C. Lee Smith. I'm the President and CEO of Sales Fuel. So here to tell us how to do it, direct from Australia, Brendan Baker is at our microphones. And I, I welcome, sir. It's uh, 5 a.m. your time. Thanks for getting up with us. Oh, pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs> for those of you that don't know him, when it comes to change, the industry has overcomplicated it, and probably us too, <laughs> from <laughs> obtuse jargon to untold reams of paperwork and internal committees. That was possibly one of our options. Was that was definitely committee. one of the topics this morning, um, yeah. <laughs> it's just become too hard, too confusing, too segregated, too academic, too process-laden. And so Brendan Baker is converting others to a radical new idea to simplify it. I cannot wait for, for this. He's breaking out the scissors. We're going to cut through some red tape. <laughs> yeah. As a leading <laughs> expert in the field, uh, Brendan is the author of the bestseller. It's called Valuable Change. Pick up the book. He's consulted on over $10 billion in key transformation projects and programs across a range of industries and organizational sizes. Um, so you say, Brendan, your central mission is to A, help change leaders drive real value, but also the secondary mission is to fight unnecessary complexity. And so what kind of value are we talking about? Let's define value and go from there. Yeah, sure. Uh, so in, in fact, I'll bundle it together. Okay. Uh, let, let's define valuable change. So a, a valuable change is really just a, a change that meets a, a key need or desire. Maybe it's an opportunity. Maybe, maybe it's a response to a threat. Either way, it's something that, that meets that need. It really is as, as simple as that. So where do we, most people get hung up or is it different? I mean, I guess what are the maybe top three things that gum us all up that we most commonly make as leaders, the mistakes we make? Yeah. Uh, so every valuable change needs to answer three valuable questions. Okay. Number one, they need to answer, why are we doing it? Number two, how will we prove it? And number three, what exactly are we doing? And, and the scary thing is those three questions are insanely simple and yet... Um, 
what is it probably 85% of the change that I've consulted on, they don't have good answers for, for at least one of them and often two of those three questions. One question I like to ask is <laughs> when do we need to do it or do we need to do this right now, which also came up in the meeting this morning. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, deadlines. I mean, you talk about slow project startups, last minute scrambles and never ending projects. That was actually the, those three things are what made me book your interview, Brendan. I was like, oh, Excellent. wow, we got to talk about those three things. Those happen everywhere. <laughs> yeah, let's drill down on that. So let's talk about it. Yep, happy to. So so those things, uh, you typically find projects that run too long. You, you typically see those, the, the never ending, the scope creep, the, the ever growing projects. You see that when you, when you don't have connection between those three questions. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the biggest mistake that, that most people think when it comes, that most people make when it comes to change is starting with what? What do we actually, what do we need to change? What do we need to do? And, and, you know, and even, even here, Lee, um, you said, you know, when do we need to do it by? That's, that's part of that, what, that's part of that what conversation. Okay. When do we need to do it by? How much is it going to cost? Who do we need? It's, it's those aspects when we really need to kind of stop for a moment, ratchet back a couple steps and say, well, why are we doing this? And then, and we don't then jump into what we then need to move. Okay. Well, how will we prove it? What does this future success look like for us? Mm -hmm. And then, and only then do we connect through to the what and doing so gives you this lovely connection through. And, and, and what I often do with my clients is put it up on a board, draw it up a couple columns. And, and actually draw the connections. And what that quickly reveals is all of those things that you had in your head as an, oh, maybe we will do this or maybe we'll do this. If you're not seeing those connections all the way through, you can very quickly delete them out. Mm -hmm. But for change leadership, what if you not all stakeholders agree and you can't come to a consensus? Somebody has to make the final decision. And so what is your recommendation for change leadership? And, and what does that look like in a way that doesn't alienate everybody that you had in that discussion. So, so that, that's, that's the power of a story and that's the power of a visual often is, is getting them into that room and, and build that picture together and, and do it cohesively in co-design. And, and, and it's great that you mentioned change leadership because really a change leader has uh, basically three things under their remit in my view. The first, and, and this is what, exactly what we're talking about here, is they need to build a strong change core. And that's answering those three questions. Why are we doing this? How will we prove it? And what exactly are we doing? Beyond that point, and after they've, they've achieved, I guess, created that core and built that vision, uh, they then need to shift into how will we build and protect change momentum? And then finally, how will we influence, sorry, how will we, um, how will we leverage connection to create influence? And, and it's this lovely ripple effect. Uh, and, and so to, to, to give you an idea of... Um, to give you an idea of how I've seen change flow out through organizations. Um, I'll, I'll ask you, uh, Audrey, when, where was the last restaurant you went to? Um, I got to think about this because of COVID. <laughs> oh, well, we, can I, okay. Well, we ordered Chinese to be delivered. So that would be probably the most qualified. So uh, uh, like three days ago. Three days ago. Okay. Oh, it's, I'll, 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 I'll amend it. So if the delivery person, uh, so it was going to, if the server, but, but if the delivery person had been rude and obnoxious and, and whatnot, how would that have affected your experience? Negatively. Exactly. And so there's this, there's this ripple effect through even a simple transaction like that. 
where you have you know, the, the, the server or the delivery person, that will affect your evening and that will affect your perception of the food. Uh, and, and it's entirely possible that that delivery person or that server may have been in a good mood when they arrived to work that day. And maybe the, the, the store manager was the one that was in the bad mood and it had rippled down a few steps. And what I've noticed is that in, in changing organizations, it's the exact same ripple flow. It has to start with, with the core and a really cohesive, clear core. And that's building that, that connection and that's answering those three questions. And then it flows out into uh, your, our teams, the teams that are directly involved in the change and, and building and protecting the momentum there. And then it flows out further throughout our organizations and, and even beyond our organizations into our communities and clients. Let's start with the why. So does, it doesn't necessarily have to stem from the very top or someone with a leadership title, though. It's like anybody can really ring the bell and, and alert people that there's a crisis or something that needs to be changed, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the why is one of those things that, that there's a little trap in there that, that most people fall into uh, in, in that it's quite often when we say, oh, here's our why. And our why is we need a new database, which is really just the what written up as a why. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and or similarly, it's uh, just pointing to an external threat. You know, the legislation is changing and we, and we need to now implement this system or whatever the case may be. A good, effective why, no matter where you are in the organization, is one that paints the picture of the future. It's mm-hmm. one that uses some emotion. And, and we don't need to fill it with a million and one different points of jargon or, or you know, we don't have to, it doesn't have to be written in corporate speak. Start to write the why in, in real emotive speak. And, and that's how you drive that, that buy-in. I mean, you, you asked earlier, Audrey, around how do we how do we get everyone on the same page and, and how do we manage the stakeholders? It's, it's by keeping that why simple and keeping that why really clear and, mm-hmm. and building that consensus first with that why and building that emotion into it. There's a general rule of thumb that goes along with this, that whenever you introduce a change, that you'll have uh, you know, one segment then that will be on board immediately. You'll have one segment then that will immediately dig in their heels and be, be against it. And then in the middle, you have a little bit of everybody else. So how do you use all three groups then? Uh, and, or how do you speak to all three groups so that you get them uh, actively involved in the process and buying in? Uh, so so th- this is a very common problem. Uh, and, and what's really interesting is, is and this really... Um, talks to that third ripple layer of, of what a change leader needs to be doing. And, and that is really leveraging organizational connection. So there's an interesting, there's, there's a couple of interesting books written by, uh, I think he's a Harvard professor, um, Albert Laszlo Barabashi. One of the books is, is linked. And what he's done is he actually has, he's identified uh, the, the structure and the pattern that underpins man-made networks or human-made networks. And what he's found is that all human-made networks have a hub-and-spoke style pattern to them. And and so a really easy way to get your head around this is uh, think of the internet. How do you get to any website on the internet? It's likely through a search engine, Google, Yahoo, or Facebook, or, or one of those behemoths. And so those are the hubs of the internet that provides the connection through to wherever you want to go. And, and what's really interesting is that the exact same pattern exists within our societies. We, we humans are linked the same way. We, we've all heard of six, de- six degrees of separation. Mm-hmm. And the reason why that works is because of this hub and spoke model that underpins our society. 
So and it, it was, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Well, you talk about not losing momentum, but again, we talked about last minute scrambles and never ending projects. And so when I project manage, almost everything is related to a deadline. And so that's how I keep the momentum going is this deadline's looming and it's not moving. And that's what motivates us. What are some of the other ways to keep momentum going and not have things sort of peter out other than a date? Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, so, so the momentum piece is we're really looking at uh, hope and energy. And, and what you're looking at is, is trying to gauge where is our momentum um, for, for our teams. And so there, there are essentially five stages that your teams could be at somewhere between despair and fanatic. Now, despair is, is those people that don't like coming to work, the, the people that uh, maximize their sick leave and leave right on the dot and, and, and escape as soon as they can. Uh, and fanatics are those people that, that go above and beyond. A prime example of a fanatic is someone that, uh, you know, Apple are really good at producing fanatics, people that camp out to buy the new iPhone. That, that's extreme fanaticism. And, there's, and there are stages in between uh, basically despair, fearful, hopeful, motivated, fanatic. Now, the tips for each um, vary depending on the stage, but uh, the, the general rule is build hope before you build energy. You need to create that optimism within the team and you need to protect that optimism within the team before worrying about motivating. And, and that's, a common, that's a common mistake. As, as a change leader, we think, well, how do we motivate the teams? How do we keep that motivation running? Uh, when really it's you need to be protecting that hope uh, and continuing that that improvement first before you worry about motivating. Yeah, the human condition really requires that we can never find ourselves in a position where we're hopeless or helpless. If we're feeling either one of those two, nothing else really matters. Exactly. Yes, but but with that said, um, there there is this uh, you know similar to the human conditions, we don't we don't like to change our minds. So mm-hmm. if we do find people that are that are helpless or hopeless in, in that that despair element, they're not a lost cause, but they are highly cynical. And so what you need to do is you need to give them an excuse, a reason, a little seed of hope. They'll still seem cynical, but if you give them that seed of hope, there'll be that little seed that you can then start to nurture and then you work on the fears that are surrounding that cynicism and being protected by that cynicism. And that's how you build them up from despair through fearful into into building that hope. And then and only then you work on motivating. So does this apply to basically everything in a business from a simple project or a team project to something that really drives massive quantities of revenue and ROI? I mean, does this whole system that you've got apply all the way across the board? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And, and, and in fact, it's, it's built from experience um, myself with projects that were 50, 100,000 all the way up to portfolios that were one and a half billion in size and everything in between. Wow. Because the same mistakes are being made, the same pitfalls are being fallen into. Uh, it is this, this, this ripple nature of trying to change an organization. Uh, and, and so it's the same, really, it's the same pitfalls. I want to circle back to an, to an earlier question. So how, how would you recommend that we mobilize those fanatics then? You know, so once we've gone through the first couple stages or whatever, how do we mobilize them to really drive this thing forward? So fanaticism is built on, on two key elements. The first is a sense of belonging. And Brené Brown has, has you know, talked about belonging a lot, but, but really is, is this self-identification as part of the change that you are driving. And, and, and what you're looking to build is that they, they see their picture 
in the future. They see exactly where they fit. They see how they're contributing. It's that lovely sense of belonging. And, and there are some interesting techniques you can use there, uh, things like labeling and, and, and whatnot to, to help drive that. Um, but absolutely you want them to, to belong. The second element with fanaticism is what I call positive disruption. Now, positive disruption gives them something to talk about. And that's crucial because that's, that's creating that click in their mind of this is different. And that's exactly what you want to create as a change leader. So a, a quick example is if you're working in an organization that's highly bureaucratic, structures upon structures upon structures, um, where decision-making is stretched and takes months, uh, which uh, I've, I've experienced. I've, I've had clients that that, that is exactly the case. Um, to build positive disruption in that case, within your change, flatten the structure, make decisions fast and accessible or, or, or whatnot. And it's the simple decisions like that that starts to go, hang on, this, there is something different about this team. There is something different about this change. And, and, and what, what, whatever the case may be. So, you know, similarly, in a flat structure, you can make decision-making very uh, firm or, or very clear guidance because that way you're working through the muddleness. So Andre and I were just talking this morning, as a matter of fact, about Starbucks fanatics. And whenever <laughs> yeah, the new are. menu, this new seasonal menu comes out and everything like that, the fanatics, you know, don't always have super positive things to say about the, the new menu or a new drink or something like that. So uh, it, it's, it's important that you really have to kind of monitor what their feelings are toward, toward changes because you know, they because they're emotionally invested, I guess, in, in the brand and everything like that, they may not always see change as a positive. Is that right? Absolutely. There is this lovely contrast between those two elements of fanaticism where that sense of belonging is, is somewhat uh, static, while the positive disruption is what creates that, that new conversation. And so what's interesting about that example is uh, while there, there may be a threatened sense of belonging, it'll probably they'll probably get over it and still feel part of that Starbucks Starbucks fanaticism, and they will adopt the new menu. But they will they will talk about it first, and that's that disruption element, and that's creating that conversation, and that's crucial for when we're driving change because it builds emotional capital and it builds almost passive marketing within our own within our own organizations, and and that's quite rare. And that doesn't mean that they have to go out and buy the Cranberry Bliss Bar. It just means they just have to accept that somebody else may want to buy it. That's exactly right. Yes. <laughs> that was my, I was going to say to the listeners, hey, everybody, it's Lee and the Cranberry Bliss Bar. Hates it. <laughs> I don't Mom like the Cranberry morning, Bliss Bar. <laughs> but loves his Starbucks, in case you want to know. Um, we've got just a few minutes left. I actually wanted to ask you about um, business size, small business versus the big, massive corporations you work with. I mean, obviously, if you've got a lean and mean organization, is it easier to pivot and make change? Or have you seen the reverse? Uh, maybe I'm being counterintuitive in making that assumption? No, it, it's the size of the organization introduces new sets of challenges. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not necessarily easier, uh, but, but, it, but it is a different set of challenges. More the, people, more problems. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. And normally more layers. Um, yeah. But, but the, the things that ring true are these three ripple elements. We, if you're trying to change a small, uh, small team, you still need clarity of why you're doing this, how you will prove it, and what exactly you're doing you still need to build and protect momentum and you still need to drive that, that, that influence through connection. And it's, and it rings absolutely true in, in, with, with the big organizations too. Sure. 
So your website is valuablechange.com. And um, are you still taking new clients? What's going on? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yes. So valuablechange.com. Uh, you, you can also get the book um, basically yes. worldwide. Uh, so yep, Amazon, Google, whatnot. It's on uh, its ebook as well as paperback. Uh, I think I've got a hardcover in there as well. Um, it's also soon to be audio book. Uh, it's it's Ooh, in recording and, and will be out soon. Love that. Love that. Well, I'm going to take this blueprint, uh, Brendan, that you gave us, and I'm going to apply it to this like change that we have going on in our company and see if it just makes it so much easier. I'm going to start with the three things and let it all flow out from there. So, I mean, this is the perfect timing. And we'll report back <laughs> to, <meet> to you. <laughs> Please do. Please do. Thanks for being on the show. We appreciate it. Our pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>